to come and be a part of it. So we're going to re- receive our offering. I want to read just a passage of Scripture w- without a lot of uh, comment this morning, and we're going to take our offering. Malachi, how many of y'all, are, y'all know where I'm going? How many of you think you know where I'm going? You could be wrong. Malachi, you know, y'all are probably right. Malachi chapter 3, verse 8. Will a man rob God? Yet you have robbed me. But you say, in what way have we robbed you? In tithes and offerings. You're cursed with a curse, you, for you have robbed me, even this whole nation. Bring all the tithes into the storehouse, that there would be food in my house. And try me now in this, says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open uh, for you the windows of heaven and pour out for you such a blessing that, you, that there will not be room enough to receive it. So just two quick points I want to point out here. First of all, God says, try me. I don't think there's a whole lot of instances in the scripture where God does this, but he says, try me. Prove me. Test me. This is a principle, and I'm a man of my word. Try me and see if this is not true. God stands by this principle with his own character. Think about that. What does that mean to us? as Christians, as believers, as followers of the Lord. God stands by this principle with his own character. That's the first thing I want to point out. Second thing that I want to point out is this is what sustains the ministry of the house of the Lord. The local church operates with the tithe, the offering. It's what God has designed. Studies, research has, has proven this. Very few believers tithe. Studies show that. Here's what the studies also show. If we would all simply tithe, if we would do what we're called to do in covenant with the Lord, we would never have a need in the church. They've done studies and research to show that. We would never have to do fundraisers. Our, Our youth wouldn't have to sell donuts. We wouldn't have to do car washes, right? If we would just simply operate on the principle that the word of God lays out from beginning to end. We looked at that last week. From beginning to end, this is in the scripture. This is the teaching of the word of God. If we would just simply do it, we would have no money issues. In the work of ministry, we would, we would fund our missionaries. Every, everything that we need to do to reach the nations, to propagate the gospel, would be accomplished if we would just simply operate in the principles of the word of God. That's it. All right. And it says that, he says that, this is what, again, coming back to my point, he says that, that, he said, bring the tithe and offering that there would be meat, that there would be sustenance in the house of the Lord. Amen? So that's the way it's supposed to be. I believe that. That's a principle. All right, more, more will come. I'll continue to work through this. But we're going we're gonna to receive our offering. I'll ask our, ask our uffer, uh, ushers to come. I'm going to get my tongue untied here in just a minute. Promise. I'm going to ask our ushers to come, our kids to get ready. I think we have somebody ready to receive our noisy offering. If you've got a noisy offering, when we're done praying, you can bring that forward. Father, in the name of Jesus Christ, we thank you for the opportunity, Lord, to partner with you. We thank you, Lord, that there is sustenance in your house, Lord God, that there is provision, Lord, for the work of the ministry to go forward. Lord, we thank you that we get to partner with you in kingdom building, Lord. You have counted us, you, you, uh, worthy, you have entrusted us uh, with the stewardship of the kingdom, and we're grateful, Lord, to be able to partner in that. It is an honor, it is a privilege, and a joy 
Lord, I pray that you would bless every family and every person that's in this house, Lord God, that you would give uh, uh, seed to the sower and bread to the eater, Lord God. You are faithful to us, and we bless you in the mighty name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. God bless you as you give. He's listening, that's right. All right, so today we're going to talk about a fun topic. Are you ready? Death. We're going to talk about dying. And we're going to celebrate dying this morning. Dying is not as morbid as we make it out to be. I mean, none of us want to die, right? Anybody ready to die today? But how many of you are ready to go to heaven? Amen? Death is the doorway. Amen? Death is a transition from this life to the next, from this decaying life to the eternal life of God. Amen? Philippians chapter 2. Or I'm sorry, 1. We're still in 1. I wish we were in 2. We're in 1. We started this in January. We're still in chapter 1. Philippians chapter 1, verse 19. I'm tempted to read the whole chapter, but we got some ground to cover, so I won't do that. Verse 19, for I know that this will turn out for my deliverance through your prayer and the supply of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, according to my earnest expectation and hope that in nothing I shall be ashamed, but with all boldness, as always, so now also Christ will be magnified in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. But if I live on in the flesh, this will mean fruit from my labor. Yet what shall I choose, I cannot tell. If I'm hard-pressed between the two, having a desire to depart and be with Christ, which is far better. Nevertheless, to remain in the flesh is more needful for you. And being confident of this, I know that I shall remain and continue with all your progress and joy of faith, that your rejoicing for me may be more abundant in Jesus Christ by my coming to you again. He makes this statement. He talks about how to go and be with Christ is far better, and he makes this statement, to die is gain. We always think of death as a loss. I lost my father. I lost my loved one, right? We always think of it as a loss, but more often we do. We think of it as a loss, but we, we need to begin to think of it as gain. We need to begin to think of it as, as gain. Uh, we, we meet with our team every Sunday morning, our worship team and all the technical folks, and we, we, get, we gather together. We, we spend a few minutes going over, make sure everything's ready for the service. We pray together. In that meeting th this morning, Julie reminded me of something that was spoken at Billy Graham's uh, uh, funeral. She said that he, he gave words that were to be spoken of, uh, of him at his funeral, and th th this is what it was. When they say that Billy Graham is dead, don't believe them. He's more alive than he ever was. That was spoken at Billy Graham's funeral. See, that's a, that is a perspective that says death is gain. He had a hope in Jesus. He had a hope in eternity. Our eyes are fixed on this world. Our, our eyes are fixed on the experience of this life. And we don't really live with an eternal perspective. We don't live with the hope 
of eternity with Jesus Christ. I want to read, and I, I read through a little bit this week, the, uh, in Ecclesiastes, just the vanity of life. How many of you realize how futile life can be? How vain it is? I mean, do, do we ever get tired of uh, going to work and getting a paycheck and putting it in the bank so that we can pay our taxes? Do, you ever, do we ever get tired of these cycles of life? And we realize how futile really all of this is. Life is, is, is futile, and the, the writer talks about this, and, and I think he gives us an important light on, it, on eternity. And I want to read in, in Ecclesiastes, I, I just want to read through the 12th chapter as we get started here this morning. Remember now, Ecclesiastes 12 and 1, your creator in the days of your youth. I just really think this passage gives us a great perspective about how futile this life is and that we need to really point towards eternity. Remember now your creator in the days of your youth before the difficult days come. How many of you understand what that means? Remember how easy it was when you were young? The years draw near when you will say, I have no pleasure in them. While the sun and the light and the moon and the stars are not darkened and the clouds do not return after the rain. In the day when the keepers of the house tremble and the strong men bow down, when the grinders cease because, of, because they are few, and those that look through the window grow dim, when the doors are shut in the streets and the sound of, the, uh, of grinding is low, when one rises up at the sound of a bird and all the daughters of music are brought low. Also, they are afraid of height and terrors in the way when the almond tree blossoms and the grasshopper, grasshopper is a burden and desire falls. For man go, goes to his eternal home and the mourners go about the streets. Remember your creator before the silver cord is loosed or the golden bowl is broken or the pitcher shattered at the fountain or the wheel broken at the well. This is actually a description of the human body that, that is deteriorated. Read this in the uh, uh, New Living Translation, Ecclesiastes 12, 6. It says, Remember your Creator now while you are young, before the silver cord of your life snaps and the golden bowl is broken. Don't wait until the water jar is smashed at the spring and the pulley is broken at the well. In other words, don't and uh, you need to remember the Lord before everything goes south. That's basically what he's saying here. Um, verse 7, Then the dust will return to the earth as it was, and the Spirit will return to God who gave it. Vanity of vanities, says the preacher. All is vanity. And moreover, because the preacher was wise, he still taught the people knowledge. Yes, he pondered and sought out and set in order many proverbs. The preacher sought to find acceptable words, and what was written was upright, words of truth. The words of the wise are like goads, and the words of scholars are like, like well-driven nails given by one shepherd. And further, my son, be admonished by these. Of making many books there is no end, and much study is wearisome to the flesh. Let us hear the, conclu the conclusion of the whole matter. And here it is. And I think this really, if we would get, get this uh, ne next few lines here, this would help us to, to live a life established, well established, a life worthwhile. 
a life that's going to matter in eternity. Fear God and keep his commandments. For this is all, this is all, man's all. For God will bring every work into judgment, including every secret thing, whether good or evil. Amen? Just pray that that would set in your heart, uh, you know, uh, the reality of how futile really this life is and that we, we shouldn't be living for this life. We should have an expectation and a hope for the life that is to come. My pastor told the story many times when I was growing up in his church of um, a, a pastor friend of his who got a call from a doctor at the hospital. And this doctor asked him to come and visit. It was a lady that was a member of his church. And he said, she's been screaming. She's been out of her mind. She's scared to death. She keeps screaming about how she's afraid to die. She's going on and on. She's making a scene. And he said, this doctor to this pastor, he said, Pastor, you need to teach your people how to die. You need to teach your people how to die with dignity, with grace, with an expectation, a hope. And that really set, on, set in on me, made an indelible mark on me that we do. We need to look forward to death. We need to have a hope and an expectation, an anticipation of death. I believe that Paul, in writing uh, these words that we read today in, in, in first, uh, the first chapter of Philippians, speaks towards death with anticipation and with hope. There's no fear of it. There's no regret that his life is coming to a conclusion. He's looking forward to the reality of being in the presence of Jesus Christ. He's looking forward to slipping away from this decaying body and inheriting that new body that the scripture looks at and we're gonna look at before we get done here today. He looks forward with a hope and an expectation to dying. And I just want to say before we get to, I'm going to, I'm going to teach through, and I, I really could have done probably a whole month on this, of teaching about death and what, what we should look forward to. But, but before we go too far, I, I want to say this. I think that, that Paul specifically, because we have to remember there's a purpose of why he's writing this letter to Philippians. We have to remember that this is a, a church where there is some division. There's some infighting. They're, they're not all getting along together. And he's writing with that purpose and that intent to, to encourage them to be of the same mind. And I really think he, he speaks in, in this terminology of, of the life to come, of eternity. I, I'm, I'm looking forward to dying. Life, life is Christ, but death is gain. And I, I, I think he may have inserted this in here just to set a focus, like why, why are we so caught up on these temporal things that are going on in our midst that we're bickering about them in the light of eternity. I wonder if Paul didn't insert this, this, this verbiage in here just to make the point. Hey, come on, lift, lift your perspective. You're down here in the molly grubs, uh, in, in the weeds, in, 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 in the briars, arguing about these little things. Come on, let's get a better expectation. Let's lift our perspective, right? Life is more important than the color of the carpet in the church. We, we, again, we're not given detail of what they're fighting over. Worship style, the, the preaching style, uh, the, the media presence. We don't know what they're, they're fighting over. We just know there's some fighting. And Paul, hey, come on. Is this really what we're going to get down about? 
Is this really gonna be the end of our relationship? We're gonna, we're gonna, we're gonna divorce over this. We're gonna separate over these trivial, earthly, carnal, meaningless things, the vanities of life, and we're, we're gonna let, this break, let these little things, these little trivial things break us up. I wonder if Paul didn't insert this kind of terminology into this letter just to try to bump their perspective a little bit, say, hey, lift your eyes up. We, we have a hope of better things. Amen? Think about the words of that pastor again. Teach your people to die. Or that doctor. Isn't it a shame that a doctor would have to say that to a pastor about a Christian? I'm looking forward to dying. I'm looking forward to living a few more days. I do. I want to enjoy my family. I want to enjoy my friends. I want to build the kingdom. I want to do the word that God's called me to do. But I, I do have an expectation and a hope. And if, if, it, if the Lord says it's time, I am not going to argue. I'm not going to fight. I'm not going to fuss. I am going to gladly cross over into the next life. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 13 says this, I do not know, or, or I'm sorry, I do not want you to be ignorant, brethren. I do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning those who have fallen asleep. Least you sorrow as others who have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, God will bring with him those who are asleep in Jesus. That, that is our hope. The only hope we have in dying is that Jesus died and rose. That's what gives us a hope and an expectation in death. The fact that Jesus rose, he died, and he rose, triumphing over death, hell, and the grave. He's the victor over death. This thing that is trying, it is trying to eat you every single day. Death is trying to take you out. Your bodies are, are aging. You're, you're going to die. Do you know that? You're going to die. Is there anybody in the room that was born in the 1800s? They're all dead, right? You know that every, every second, they, they estimate that two people die every second. Think about that. It's going to get us all. None of us are going to escape it. And that, 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 that can, can be very morbid. But not those of us who, we, who believe. We have a hope. Jesus died, and he rose again. And he said, I'm going to prepare a place for you. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not true, I would tell you. Amen? Amen. He's gone to prepare a place for us. I heard, I heard somebody say, if it, took, if it took the Lord seven days to create, the, the, or six days, really, to create the earth, and it's taken him 2,000 years to prepare heaven for us, how glorious is our, are our mansions going to be? Can you imagine what kind of a place that we're going to? The Lord is there preparing a place for us. Amen? Lord's building a mansion for me and for you. Think about that. And, and really, we, we, we use the word, the terminology mansions, but really the, the better word is probably apartment. 
I'm going to have an apartment in the Lord's house. Think about that. He's building a great big mansion, and I've got a bedroom. I get to live with the Lord. Think about it. He's building a mighty mansion for all of his people, and we get to go spend eternity there. This passage in Thessalonians, we do not sorrow over death the way that others sorrow. We will experience the pain of absence. It's always a dreadful thing when a loved one dies. But we do not sorrow as the world sorrows. We have a hope. We have an expectation. You know, every, every once in a while, my wife and I will we'll start getting down about, you know, my, my dad passed a few years back. Her parents are aging. We see my, my mother age, and we're, we're thinking, man, uh, you know, we're, we're losing. My, my wife has been getting report after report of family members and friends, men in the church, men and women in the church that she grew up, and they're, they're aging. They're not doing well. They're not giving good reports, or they're passing away, and we, we look at these things. But every, every time I find myself in one of these situations where we're kind of starting to get heavy-hearted about it, I say to my wife, you know what? It's, it's not going to be long, and we're going to be back together with him. Just a few years. And I'll remind my wife of this. Your, your parents were our age when we met. I tell my wife that every once in a while. They, I'm almost as old as my father-in-law was the day that I met him, right? That, that you, you realize as you go how, how quick this life goes. It's a vapor, folks. It's blowing by, right? You think about it. Life is short. But we don't have to sorrow like the world sorrows because we have the blessed hope of the resurrection. We're going to look at that before we get done here. We have the blessed hope of re resurrection. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 8 and 9, it says, We are confident, yes, well pleased, rather to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. Therefore, we make it our aim, whether present or absent, to be well pleasing to him. Our aim, whether we're alive or dead, ought to be to please the Lord. If it's in this life or in the life to come, our aim is to please the Lord. Again, this, this passage in, in Corinthians here, it, it speaks of, of death as a good thing. He says, we're, we're well pleased to be absent from this body. We're looking forward to death. We're looking forward because to be absent from this body is to be present with him. Amen. I believe that. As soon as you breathe your last breath on planet, when your ticker stops, if you are a believer, if you have put your faith in Jesus Christ, if you have been born again, when you breathe your last breath, your eyes open, they're going to open in eternity in the presence of Jesus Christ. Amen? What an awesome thing. So do you want to wake up with Jesus? Or do you want to wake up to your next-door neighbors? What's the better thing? To go to your boss every morning. You have to go to your family reunions. That's your hope and expectation? Come on. Man, my, my family reunions are dysfunctional. They're all nuts. Half of them love Jesus and half of them are for loops. It's a reality. One of my last family reunions, my dad's side of the family, one of my cousins left beating himself over the head with a chair. I'm not kidding. We're going to put our hope in fallible people. 
who disappoint us and have let us down and have talked about us and have wronged us and all this stuff, and we're, we're, we're just clinging to it. We're hanging around here as long as we can so we can keep paying the IRS. Sickness and trouble and hardship and wars and rumors of the world. Is this what we're living for? This decaying, corroding, corrupted world? Or are we living for Jesus? What's our expectation? To die truly is gain. Look at Romans chapter 14. We're looking at a lot of scripture this morning. That's a good thing. Romans chapter 14, verse 7. None of us live to himself, and no one dies to himself. This is speaking about us as believers. For if we live, we live to the Lord, and if we die, we die to the Lord. Therefore, whether we live or die, we are the Lord's. And I, I just need to pause here and say that my mom's side of the family, they're all sane and in their right minds. <laughs> all the crazy ones are named Hayes. <laughs> I'm totally kidding. I have a great family on both sides. A lot of godly people on both sides. For to this end Christ died, verse 9, and rose. You see that? Whether we live or die, verse 9, to this end Christ died and rose and lived again, that he might be Lord of both the dead and the living. But why do you judge your brother? Why do you show contempt for your brother? For we shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. For it is written, As I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me, and every tongue shall confess to God. So then each of us shall give account of himself to God. I'll say this, that we're all going to face judgment. Every one of us. There's going to be a judgment of the wicked and the righteous, the goats on the left-hand side, the sheep on the right-hand side. And it's, it, this, this is the, the judgment where those who are outside of Christ, those who have not been born again, will be condemned. They will be sentenced to an eternity separated from God. They will encounter the wrath of God. Those on the right-hand side will be brought into the kingdom, will inherit the life that God intended for us to have. And we, we need to remember this. We, we need to live our lives remembering, hey, we're going to stand one day before the judgment seat of Christ. It talks about that. Every foolish thing that we have done, every word that we spoke in vain, those things are going to be burned up in our life. They'll be taken, destroyed. Every righteous work, every righteous deed, when you spoke the word of God, when you gave the testimony of Jesus, when you were a witness for him, when you, when you showed glory and goodness and kindness, those things are going to remain. We're going to stand before the judgment seat of Christ. We need to remember that, and we need to live life accordingly. Just want to throw that out there. I, I, we, like I said, we could have taught on this for a month. We could have taught about heaven and hell, and we need to. Listen, I, 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 without going into a lot of teaching, I want to say this. Heaven is real. It's, it is clear. It is laid out in the scriptures. There, there is a hell. There is a heaven. Not everybody's going there. That, that's a reality. We, we need to re be reminded of that. 
right? And I, I don't want to get in, into it too, too deep, but that, that, that's a reality. That, that is the truth. If you're, if you're outside of Jesus Christ, this, this is reality. It's not whether you were a good person or not. Are, are you saved? Well, I've, I've lived a pretty good life. That, that doesn't matter. Your righteousness is filthy rags. Are you, are you going to heaven? Well, you know, my, my, my family's Baptists. Yeah, we'll, we'll, I, I'm going to heaven. My grandpa was a member. You know, here's his, here's his he, he left me his Bible and his membership card. That, that's not going to get you in. Are you in Christ? Is your life hidden in him? Have you made him Lord and Savior? Are you walking in his ways? Have you made the commitment to Jesus Christ? Have you been born again? If you have, you know what? You have a hope. If you don't, you have no hope. You, you should fear death. If you're outside of Christ, you should fear death. But for those of us who are in Christ, we have a hope. I'm going to talk about that hope as, as we conclude here. Hebrews, and don't get excited. This is the beginning of my conclusion. <laughs> Our hope is in, Hebrew, is in Jesus, Hebrews chapter 2, verse 9. But we see Jesus, who was made a little lower than the angels, for the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honor, that he, by the grace of God, might taste death for everyone. That's our hope. You know the reality? Every one of us in this room deserve hell. Every one of us in this room deserve the judgment of God, the wrath of God. We are all sinners. We all deserve it. The only hope that we have, the only way we can, we, we, the wages of sin are death. That, that's clearly stated. Romans says that the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is salvation. Right? Through by, by, by grace, through faith. That's the message of the Bible. Right? The only hope that we have in death is that Jesus tasted death for us. He was made a little lower than the angels for the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honor, that he, by the grace of God, might taste death for everyone. Skipping down to verse 14, Hebrews 2, 14. Inasmuch then as the children have partaken of flesh and blood, he himself likewise shared in the same. He became a human being. We're going to look at that in depth here when we get to Philippians chapter 2. He became a human being that he should taste death for all of us. He shared in, 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 in humanity. And here's, here, here was the purpose of that, that through death, he might destroy him who had the power of death. That's good news. If you are a believer in Jesus Christ, that is good news. Satan had the rights to you in your sinful state. But Jesus, according to this, has destroyed the one who had the power of death over us. Satan has been utterly defeated, annihilated, wiped out, disarmed, rendered useless against the children of God. Jesus has disarmed him. 
taking all ammunition away. You think about that. Through death, he has destroyed him who has the power of death. That is the devil. And to release those who, through fear of death, were all their lifetime subject to bondage. Listen, if we fear death, we are subject to bondage. Fear is a prison. It's a trap. And as long as we fear death, we are in bondage. God's called us to something greater than this. We're, we are not subject to the terror of death. That, that's why David wrote, yea, in, in, in uh, Psalm 23, verse 4, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Right? We don't have to fear death. When death is knocking on our door, we don't have to fear. But if we are afraid, and, 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 and phobias, phobias are fears, right? We're, we're, we're afraid of things, and really, most of them boil down that we're afraid to die. Right? Are you afraid of heights? No, I'm not. I'm afraid of hitting the ground, the bottom. Right? I'm, I'm, I'm afraid of dying. I, I, I'd love to jump out of a plane. I think it'd be awesome to bungee jump, to dive, high dive off of a, a tower. Can you give me a Kleenex? I'm struggling up here. Right? It's not the falling, it's the dying that scares us. Right? One of my favorite fears is claustrophobia. You know what that is? Not claustrophobia, claustrophobia. It's a fear of Santa Claus. <laughs> By the way, Pastor Bill has that one. <laughs> our fears, our phobias, really, honestly, when, it, when we boil it down, it, it comes down to the fact we are afraid to die. We're afraid of death. We do not have to fear death. Amen? The, the reality is this. You're not really free to live until you're not afraid to die. One of my favorite identifications that the Scripture gives us, I preached on it a while back, Acts chapter 1, verse 8. It says that God's Spirit will give us power to be martyrs. That's become one of my, my, my favorite identifications. I don't want to die. The apostles were crucified upside down. They had their entrails pulled out. They died gruesome deaths. I don't want to die that way. I don't want to be a martyr like that. I don't think any of us do. But I want to be free to live for Jesus in a way that I'm not afraid to die for him. That's what it means to be a martyr. Not that you're, you're, you're going to you know, walk out in a blind suicide for Jesus. That's not what it is. It's a willingness to live in a boldness, to step out without fear of what's going to happen to you and give testimony to Jesus Christ. I love that idea. That's the reality of what God wants us. He wants us to live. He went and he defeated him who has wiped him out. The one who has power over death has been defeated. Why? So that we don't have to live in this bondage of fear, Hebrews says. We don't have to be afraid to die. We're not fit to live until we're ready to die. The reality, the, the, the fear of death, it produces a cowardice in us. It does. It, it produces a cowardice in us. We're, we're afraid to pray at work. We're afraid to speak the scripture. 
We're afraid to use the name Jesus. We're afraid of the persecution. We're afraid of what they're going to say. We're afraid that we'll be cut off. We're afraid of where that's going to lead. Right? Fear of death will produce in us a cowardice of life. It's not the way that the Lord intended for us to live. Amen? He has better hope for us. I want to wrap up, and this is my conclusion. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. In fact, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to read it on my phone because I want to go to New Living Translation here. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. I've, I've read through this this weekend, the King, New King James and then the New Living Translation a few times. And this is so powerful. It really is. This, if you, I, I want you to go home and study this. I, I believe the understanding of this right here will set you free from any, any bondage, any fear of death that might reside in your, your, your soul. This passage right here. You know, the only thing that gives us hope and freedom from the fear, the bondage of the fear of death is the resurrection of Jesus Christ. He's defeated death. I want to look at, th think about this. Je Jesus resurrected and he walked around. He had a different kind of body. He walked through walls. Anybody here who can walk through walls? But he still ate. Made a meal of fish and bread. Aren't you glad you're going to still eat in heaven? We're going to have new bodies that look nothing like these bodies. These bodies are subject to decay and corruption. We're going to inherit bodies, immortal bodies, incorruptible bodies. The same way that Jesus showed up on planet Earth after his resurrection. We're going to be in his likeness. I want to start at verse 35. But someone may ask, how will the dead be raised? And again, go, go, go through and read this entire chapter. I would have done it this morning. I just, i skipping down here to save a little time. How will the, the dead be raised? What, what kind of bodies will they have? What a foolish question. This is New Living Translation. When you put a seed into the ground, it doesn't grow into a plant unless it dies first. What you put into the ground is not the plant that will grow, but only a bare seed of wheat or whatever you are planting. Then God gives it a new body that he wants it to have. A different plant grows from each kind of seed. Similarly, similarly there are different kinds of flesh. One kind for humans, another kind for animals, another kind for birds, and another for fish. These are also bodies in, or I'm sorry, there are also bodies in the heavens and bodies on the earth. The glory of the heavenly bodies is different from the glory of earthly bodies. The sun has one kind of glory, while the moon and stars each have, their, have another kind. And even the stars differ from each other in their glory. Is in the same way with the resurrection of the dead, our earthly bodies are planted in the ground when we die, but they will be raised to live forever. Our bodies are 
buried in brokenness, but they, are, they will be raised in glory. They are buried in weakness, but they will be raised in strength. They are buried as, sumer, as natural human bodies, but they will be raised as spiritual bodies. For just as there are natural bodies, there are also spiritual bodies. The scripture tells us the first man, Adam, became a living person. And the last Adam, that is Christ, is a life-giving spirit. What comes first is the natural body, then the spiritual body comes later. Adam, the first man, was made from the dust of the earth, while Christ, the second man, came from heaven. Earthly people are like earthly men, and heavenly people are like the heavenly man. Just as we are now like the earthly man, we will someday be like the heavenly man. What I am saying, dear brothers and sisters, is that our physical bodies cannot inherit the kingdom of God. These dying bodies cannot inherit what will last forever. But let me reveal to you a wonderful secret. We will not, be, we will not all die, but we will be transformed. It will happen in a moment, in the blink of an eye, just like that. When the last trumpet is blown, for when the trumpet sounds, those who have died will be raised to live forever. And we who are living will also be transformed. For our dying bodies must be transformed into bodies that will never die. Our mortal bodies must be transformed into immortal bodies. Then, when our dying bodies have been transformed into bodies that will never die, the scripture will be fulfilled. Here it is. Death is swallowed up in victory. O oh, oh death, where is your victory? O oh, death, where is your sting? For sin is the sting that results in death, and the law gives sin its power. But thank God, he gives us a victory over sin and death through our Lord Jesus Christ. So, my dear brothers and sisters, be strong and immovable. Always work enthusiastically for the Lord, for you know that nothing you do for the Lord is ever useless. Amen. How many of you are ready to die now? Anybody? <laughs> Amen. We have a hope and expectation. I'm ready to live as long as the Lord wants me to live. For me to live is Christ. I'm ready to die whenever he says to die is gain. And it's far better. Amen. Let's stand together. Because Jesus Christ has tasted death. What Billy Graham has, has said was true. He's not dead. He's more alive than he ever has been. Amen? He slipped from this world into the next. And I don't know how eternity all plays out. Some people have this idea that all of us arrive to eternity at the exact same moment because there's no time in eternity and it's going to be like one big arrival. And I don't know how all that's going to play out. But I know we get new bodies. We're going to be like Jesus.
Amen? Once you're over 40, that's great hope. Man, who likes getting up at 5 in the morning to go to the bathroom? Anybody? My kids can sleep till noon without going to the bathroom. Ain't fair. It's the Lord's way of getting us up to pray and read the Bible, right? <laughs> Praise God. There's no sting in death because Jesus tasted death. Amen? There's no victory in death because he has triumphed over it. Amen? Thanks be to God who causes us to triumph over death. That's what it's in reference to, over death. He causes us to triumph. Amen? Praise God. To him be the glory. Amen. Give God praise, would you? Come on, let's praise God. Father, we worship you. We magnify you. Begin to open your mouth and praise God. Begin to thank him. Lord, we thank you for the blessed hope of eternity. We thank you for salvation. We thank you that there is life to come on. Come, Lord, that, that we have an expectation and a hope. We have something to look forward to. We don't have to fear, Lord God. There's a transition coming from this life to the next, Lord God. We get to step into your presence and experience the fullness of your glory. Come on, church. Praise the Lord. Open your mouth. Exalt the Lord. Bless the Lord. Lord, we thank you. We honor you. We worship you, Lord, for you are good. You truly are good. You are good. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Let's take it a minute and imagine. I want you to close your eyes. And I want you to envision paradise. Envision the table. We're going to sup with him. We're going to eat with him. Envision that table. There's a great multitude. It's a great dining room. More people than you can imagine. More people than you can see. A mass of sea of people gathered in for the banquet. As you look around your table, your loved ones that have gone before in Christ, let's, let's get a vision of eternity. Picture your children and your grandchildren seated at the table with you. Maybe it was an aunt or uncle that witnessed to you and told you about Jesus and they're at the banquet with you and then there's Jesus imagine him in his glory and his splendor the king of kings the lord of lords creator redeemer Lion, lamb. Isn't that awesome? Open your eyes. I want to say this to you. I don't care how vivid that was, how awesome and majestic it was. I don't think it even begins. We, we, we can't even really begin to grasp the glory of eternity and what it's going to be like. 
There is a lot of beauty in this world. Life is wonderful. But it does not even begin to compare. There's going to be no more dying there. No more sickness or disease. All of our needs will be taken care of. We'll be in the presence of perfect love. Our hearts will be perfect. All this fighting and jealousy and backbiting and all the things that we go through in our relationships, we're going to walk in perfect love together. We can't even imagine how awesome it's going to be. If you're in Christ, this is a glorious thing. It's a glorious hope. I want to give an opportunity, though, that for those of you who may not know Jesus, I believe that this book is true. I believe that God, through his word, has revealed himself to us. I believe every word in this book. It tells us that we're all sinners and that we're all worthy of judgment. And that if, if we go through this life without coming to Christ, without being born again, then we'll get the judgment that we're worthy of. But God has given away through his son Jesus Christ. The reason Jesus came so, so that we could have a perfect fellowship with God in this life and in the life to come. If you're not walking in fellowship with God, if you're not saved, if you haven't been born again, I want to invite you to come down to this altar. My wife's going to sing again, and I want to invite you to come down to this altar. And I believe God's going to save you. I believe that he's going to bring new birth into your, li your life, into your heart. He's going to give you a heart transplant this afternoon in this building. Let's sing one more time. If you need to come to the Lord, if you want to know Jesus, I want you to come down to this altar.